0: And so this portion, Paul moves on to, you have to choose. He actually has the Jews mainly in mind by speaking to a church that's made up of Jews and Gentiles, a church in the most foremost city of the ancient world, Rome, the height of civilization and culture. So he basically tells them, live by faith or live by works or die by works. So what life-changing questions have you encountered, right? I tried to get this. Let me see whether I have it here. PSLE students every year here in Singapore will face a math question that is incomprehensible, <laughs> that will determine their academic life forever. Here is one from 2017, right? Um, hmm. Let me see, huh? where I got it. Question. Jess, Jess, Jessica needs 200 pieces of ribbon, each of length, 110 cm, to decorate a room for a party. Ribbon is sold in rows of 25 meters each. What is the least number of rows of ribbon that Jess needs to buy? Firstly, did you understand the question or not? This <laughs> for a 12-year-old, you know? To My goodness! And that's gonna determine my academic life. I had to read this three times. And I still won't know where to begin. The answer, and the answer is, if you got the question, nine rolls. So some questions in life determine things. And so I went to renew my mom's passport. By then, she was in her late 90s. As I fronted the counter and the receptionist at the service persons, she. She looked at the form, etc. Then she noticed, your mom is 98. You still want to renew her passport? Ah? <laughs> how long? I said, how would I know how long? <laughs> Just renew at least five years. Lah. <laughs> I didn't say it in that tone. I said, yes, I want to renew. <laughs> yes, maybe five years. That's the minimum, right? I mean, some questions you'll never forget in life. And so Graham Stanton came as one of our camp speakers. His wife was Kate. They enjoyed their time. I hope you were, you were blessed by his teaching, both youth and parents, and there was a lot of good feedback from that. And so Han Shen, our son, has gone to study there. Chun is studying there. Lak Yong is doing this course at, at Ridley. And uh, they came to say hello, and we went to try and settle our two grandkids, Eden, who just past two. And our grandson, who is barely 11 months, coming up to a year. And then in meeting Kate, the first question, our granddaughter Eden, about two years old, asked Kate, we never heard this before, she asked Kate three questions, do you love Jesus? (laughs) Second, do you love people? Thirdly, do you love Hero? (laughs) And Kate said, who is Hero? My dog. And then she, we walked out and around the campus and met the receptionist. She asked the same three questions. Kate says, I've never met a child like that. I'll never forget these questions. right?" It's what Sean was asked. Do you know God? Do you love Jesus? What life-changing questions we all conveniently avoid but desperately need to answer? And the question revolves around this truth. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness, the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth of God. So the first thing we encounter is God's objective assessment of us. And God's objective assessment from us is a present continuous thing. The wrath of God is currently, presently, as you sit here listening to this gospel, being revealed against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men." So our sin is real, and only one thing triggers God's wrath, our sin against Him. Our pride, our rebellion, our autonomy against Him. So first question to ask is, do you agree with this statement? This is God's assessment of you and me, personally. This is God's assessment of you and I, collectively. If we avoid, are we avoiding this, or fessing up to this, confessing this, Yes, I'm a sinner. I'm a rightful object of God's wrath. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, verse 3. So sin is our ultimate cancel culture of God. And the cancel culture are seen in those two words, un-un. Ungodliness, unrighteousness. In the Greek, it's just an A, right? And that prefix is the cancelling of godliness, which means you and me cancel God in our life. From our politics to our education to everything in our life we cancel God. So the story so far is this. Righteousness of God, the revelation of God's righteousness, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God has been revealed from faith to faith. So there's only one place you're going to hear about the righteousness of God. You want to watch sport, turn to ESPN. You want to watch um, business news, turn to the to Bloomberg. You want to hear about the gospel, there is, there, you want to hear about God and His righteousness, there's only one channel, it's called the gospel. God's righteousness in His wrath against Gentiles and Jews, all are under God's wrath. Then God's righteousness in His grace to save, to justify Gentiles and Jews, all are sinful by the same measure, all are saved by the same measure, justification, By faith. So, Gentiles, as Paul argued from chapter 1, what are we as Gentiles enslaved to? We are enslaved to idolatry. Once we suppress the truth of God, once we reject God, we're going to replace Him with our man made gods. And so, if we replace the true and living God, we will then proceed to God gave them over, God gave them over. Chapter 1, verse 24, 26, 28, a threefold repetition. You want to live your life your own way without God? Yes, you reject me, you will replace me. When you replace me, you go for the worship of man-made dead idols that will promise you peace and prosperity, but deliver you nothing in the end. And the true expression of idolatry is immorality. He gave them to sexual immorality to do debased things not according to their God-given nature. Then for the Jews, they are enslaved to their law righteousness and to morality. Which leads us to say, as I paraphrase from a commentator, do you all agree, do we all agree this morning, here in Singapore, there, as you listen to this, online, they were are enslaved in a universal prison of sin. And how does he end chapter 1? And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, gave, God gave them over. The third repetition of, you want it your way? You want to rule your own life? You rule your own life. To a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. And so, as a consequence of this, they were filled with all manner, can you read that word for me? All manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy. Murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, haughty, inventors of evil. So you think of new ways to sin. You're disobedient to parents. Please take note that disobedience to parents is part of our sinfulness and fallenness. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, because we have become godless we have embarked on the canceled culture of God, that though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so here is one of the lists of sins for us to realize. And are you guilty of any of those? And you say not, you have just committed the sin that confirms it, lied. You have just lied to God that I'm not guilty of any one of those sins. We call this, as a doctrine, total depravity. It doesn't mean that you and I are not capable of some good in our life from morning to night. Yes, you still have the vestiges of the image of God, and some of the leftover or vestiges of the image of God makes you capable of common good, common morality. But what this teaches us, as Paul writes, is that no one is untouched by our sin and no part of me from my mind to my heart from my heart to my hands and my feet is untouched and untainted by sin sin is pernicious it is contagious if you think COVID-19 was contagious this is COVID-19 is kindergarten this is pandemic on steroids it is maxed out no one and no part of us is untainted by this if this is true, it gives us deep insight to what has happened in our nation in the past week. If God tells us that the only trigger to his wrath is our life of autonomy, lived with idolatry and immorality, then you should never be shocked when people sin. When you sin, you must never say, Oh, oh this is so shocking. You can only be saddened. It's not a shock. God has told you this. And so it's one thing to be shocked. It's one thing to be saddened. And so very important for us to realize, how can we get out of this prison of sin and escape God's wrath? How can we do this? And I read from John Stott, a marvelous commentary through the years. They recommend to our leaders and to each of us: all human beings of every race and every rank, of every creed and every culture, Jews and Gentiles, the moral and immoralizing, the, the religious and the religious are without any exception sinful, guilty, inexcusable, and speechless before God. That was the terrible human predicament described in Romans 1:18 to 3:20. And there is no ray of light, no flicker of hope, no prospect of rescue. And so the adultery happened to members of both parties. Did you realise that sin is no respecter of race, no respecter of class, no respecter of profession, no immunity? We have said this again and again. Education is not the panacea and education does not get us out of sin. Our political leaders are highly educated. When are we going to realise that doing good to build a nation, if it's not matched by being good in our hearts, is always going to come out somewhere in our lives. So unless we see the ugliness of sin, we will not see the beauty of our Saviour. For three chapters, he wants you to see the ugliness, the perniciousness, and the contagiousness of this sin that no one is immune to it. And education and careers and professions do not affirm your righteousness before God. If we go soft on this truth called sin, you will go cold to God's offer of salvation in Jesus. So they found that the most, the fastest growing churches in America in the last 20, 30 years, is, we are Presbyterians, is PCUSA. PCUSA, right? Some association with them, when liberal, 30, 40 years ago, how liberal? Liberal sexuality, liberal in so many ways. A group broke up from that, and it's called PCA. So I intentionally correct my statement. The fastest growing churches are PCA churches, Presbyterian Church of America, which do not stop preaching about sin. PCUSA has stopped preaching about sin, has gone soft on sin. It's, it's a strange thing, right? And people ask you, what's the secret of ALPC? You tell me what's the secret of ALPC. ALPC. Adam Road Presbyterian Church. Every week you come and hear the same stuff. Every week, oh, sure got sin one, sure one. 100%. Thank God Jesus, Ah, oh, yeah, better not come. I hope this week has awakened you to the dire necessity to hear that message. And pastors and leaders have left my office saying, it's not a secret, right? You're doing the same thing as us. We go soft on sin here. We go cold on the Savior. And Jesus is God's answer, a righteousness from God. I hope this national discourse of what has happened will not go down this track. And the track is, oh, we're now more progressive. And so the personal lives of leaders has no business and no connection to their public life. You do not find that thinking in the Bible. King David committed adultery with Bathsheba and God took his child away and promise him his kingdom will be divided. There's a very tight link between what we do in our hearts and what we do in public. I hope we don't become liberal as a nation and liberal as a church. And so we need to go hard on sin and always be, always be thankful for God giving us a righteousness that comes from him alone. And it's now signaled by the word Two words, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ for all Jews and Gentiles who believe, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But now is the turning point. Three chapters, unrelenting darkness. No light, no hope. So if next week we we have another series of scandals, next week another series, it's it's just bad news. But now, so finally hope, is this Paul being logical in his argument? Most likely. Is he being chronological? chronological, now God has intervened. He's broken into your life. At the right time, He's broken into your life. And how did He break into your life? He sent Jesus as the righteousness of God that you can't make yourself righteous before God. And eschatological, can you try pronouncing that, everybody, together? Do you know what that means? Neither do I. (laughs) It's just a big technical word for end time. If God has sent Jesus 2,000 years ago, This had implication from that moment onwards. You'll never try to please God by your own righteousness. You will depend on this righteousness from God. So the righteousness of God will overcome the unrighteousness of Gentiles. The righteousness of God will overcome the self-righteousness of Jews. Jesus is God's cancel culture to our cancel culture of sin. Praise God for Jesus. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner in need of Jesus. You must always need Jesus. And I've said it repeatedly to COVID. It will be a great tragedy. What will be a great tragedy? That if we went into COVID, came out of COVID, with no deeper love, appreciation of Jesus in our life. That COVID brought the whole world to the brink of, I just have to turn on a virus, and the whole world could come to an end. The Bible calls that plix. It's just a reminder of our fragility and mortality. That we need the hope that only God can give, the righteousness of God. And so, the gospel of God we've been saying is how can a holy God save sinners without compromising his justice? How? How does he not drop his standards, then all of a sudden pronounce us totally innocent? Is this righteousness of God? This term appears eight times in Romans. In some passages, it refers to the justice of God. In some passages, it refers to the faithfulness of God. In some passages, it Leans to the attributes of God. This is the character of God. In some passages, this is not just the attribute of God. But as a result of his nature, this is how he does his work. But the main thing that jumps out at us is this, the new status that God has given to us. God has declared you and me innocent before him. And so, it is Jesus' reign that brings true peace and righteousness. This would be a challenge to Rome. Because any king or ruler who offered to, who who dared to challenge Rome that you offer more peace and prosperity, you offer more civilization and culture than Rome, don't you dare. We conquer you to make you the most civilized and righteous people. And so, what do we know about this gospel? Every time, right, you preach the gospel, you're offering good news. You are doing two things. The good news that cancels the wrath of God. Verse 18. Then this is repeated, being revealed, has been manifested. This was the perfect, it uses a perfect tense. The only reason I can stand here and proclaim good news is that in reality and factuality, God did something about your sin and my sin. He did something about your total depravity and my total depravity. And because of that, we continue to preach the gospel So when Pastor Jeff goes to prison and preaches the gospel there, men and women who have messed up their life with something which is punishable by the law, the good news is being proclaimed and accepted and believed. When we teach our children in Children's Church, when we do chaplaincy work, we are proclaiming the good news. When we say to those suffering mental unwellness, there is is good news no matter what, no matter how you think and how you feel, that God loves you, no matter your own self-made perception of your own identity, all that is when we proclaim the gospel. And this is apart from the law. It's now focused on Christ and the cross as fulfillment, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. This is not a new thing. So in argument against the Jews, you're looking in the wrong place. You look at law and keeping the law in obedience to law, the law and keeping the law will not shield you from God's wrath. It's a terrible thing. There's a movie out called Oppenheimer. I've just read a review of it. Oppenheimer is the man who invented the atomic bomb. right? And it was a race between the Germans inventing it or the Americans and the Allies inventing it. They invented it, they decided to drop the bomb and stop the war. Hiroshima, Nagasaki. If you were in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which I visited, just to see the museum, Hiroshima, you don't know what happened, but if you know something like the atomic bomb, you run around, what can you shield yourself from an atomic bomb? Waving the law against God's wrath and my keeping of the law against God's wrath is as useless as putting on any shield Against a bomb, the atomic bomb. That's the important thing for us to realize. You look to law, you keep it, you will find God's wrath. You look to Jesus and Him dying on the cross, where wrath and mercy meet, where love and forgiveness meet, where love and justice meet. There you will find God's wrath turns to God's favor upon you. Don't look to the wrong direction, He's telling the Jews. And so this is offered to all who believe, because all, because it's needed by all. Jews and Gentiles need it. Try telling Romans, you need to be saved by a man dying on the cross. They put people to death on the cross. A man dying on the cross, a Jewish man, a conquered man dying on the cross is, and Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It sounds so foolish. All have sinned. This is our cumulative sin leading to God's wrath and fall short of the glory of God. This is our continuing sin confirming God's wrath upon us. And so in our lives, each time you fall short, you have a meltdown against, you're falling short of God's glory. You're doing porn, you're falling short of God's glory. And thank God He intervened to stop you in your sins. And are justified by grace as a gift to redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put, three big words here, We'll try to explain that as best as you can in the time. You yeah, are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. From this point onwards, there's only one person who comes center stage Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, redemption by His cross, redemption by His cross. That must be front and center, left and right in your life. I pause here. Is Jesus front, center, left, right in your thoughts? in your words and your deeds. Think about it. Grace is God's amazing descent to justify us in Christ Jesus. God moving towards us. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Christianity is God coming down. The descent of God to save you from His wrath, from your sin, from Satan. Our self-righteousness is our arrogant ascent. by our own human wisdom We are going to be God-like and create societies which are so wonderful. It feels like living in paradise. Give up on that. Give up on that. And so there's only one way to do it. Justified by His grace, a legal term, not mere forgiveness. Pronouncing not guilty, no punishment. So what he's arguing here is totally innocent, uh, totally guilty before God, but The word justifies is as if you never done the crime of sin. It's as if you never sin. How is that possible? But all of us are sinners, are now regarded as never sin, and we never sin, we'll never get God's wrath. Only Jesus can do this. That's what he's saying. And so the three keys of justification the source of it is justified by his grace, the ground of it is Christ and the cross, the redemption is free. But it cost God His Son. You must never cheapen this. Never. It is free, but it is costly grace. Propitiation is the satisfaction, placating of God's wrath. Listen carefully. What God offers us in Jesus is not the mere forgiveness of our sins. If He merely forgives you, but he is, His wrath is not satisfied. You have wronged Him. You have broken relationship with Him. That problem is not solved. That problem must be solved. So in being justified by Jesus, you're not merely forgiven that God's wrath has been turned to God's favour. From this point onwards, you do not walk around with condemnation. You walk around with the freedom and the lightheartedness of justification. Very important. And God is only ever triggered by one thing, our sin. So two big words in psychology now. Gaslighting and walking on eggshells. You live a father or mother who is, oh, my father uh, has got a bad temper. La. My spouse, I right, cannot tell. Because they are, they are anger from day to day. Yeah? One day ang- angry with, about the breakfast. Next day angry about the lunch. Next day angry about the, the, the HDB flat. Next day angry about the, 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 the PAP. The next day angry. So your anger is capricious. You don't know what has triggered your father. You are walking on eggshells. You don't know what has gaslighted your spouse or your parent. God is not like a capricious God, a capricious pagan God. He's only triggered by rebellion and sin. And so, the demonstration, that the past forbearance and fixed intention, versus fixed intentions. So in the past, God, did He overlook this? No, it's not whether He will actually judge this. It's when He will do it. And Paul says, he's finally done it by Jesus dying on the cross. So no letting down of his holiness, no softening on his judgment and justice, and the means of justification, saved by grace alone, and this grace reveals itself in Bible alone, Christ alone, faith alone. The four alones that became the Reformation slogan against the corrupt Roman Catholic Church in the 1500s. And so let me walk that through. Though the word alone is not here, that's what Paul is going for—the essence. You're saved by grace alone. The Roman Catholic Church, five hundred years ago, grace plus works. You're saved by Bible alone, God's word, Scripture alone, and Scripture plus what the Pope says as infallible. Christ alone, Christ plus Mary plus the saints whom we canonize. Faith alone. Of faith plus works. It's a gospel plus. And anything that's a gospel plus will never lead you to depend completely on Jesus Christ. I was staying in a Roman Catholic hostel at that time. And deciding whether to become a Protestant or a Catholic. I really didn't know the distinction. But the Roman Catholic priest there became a good friend. And he was really a good friend. And he was highly persuasive, and his life was a model. Right. And then I spoke to, I went to church at Samatis to Philip Jensen. He says, Yes, he's a nice man, but asked him. He says, They don't, they say they don't worship Mary. They adore Mary. And Philip asked me, What's the difference between worship and adore? Right? Go and test it out with him. Tell him to remove the picture of Mary from his altar in his room. And he says he can, it's good. He says he can, he doesn't adore Mary, he worships Mary. When you stand before God, you do not plead Mary, the Mother of God. You do not plead Mother Teresa. There's only one person who can justify you. This four alone is what confirms that you're saved by grace alone, Bible alone, Christ alone, and faith alone. And so you need to ask yourself, so faith's only function is to receive what grace offers. So this is what God has offered us in grace. It is Christ, a righteousness from God, not from our own self. And faith has only one job description. Receive it. Humbly receive it. Humbly believe it. And live by this. And live by this. And then he goes on, because it's only time to summarise Abraham. What has become of our boasting is excluded. But what kind of law? By a law of works, not by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. So what does this mean? Just a summary of that portion. Justification by faith. The implications, if you are justified by faith in Christ and Christ alone, it humbles us. It excludes boasting. Gentiles boast even though they sin. Romans 1, verse 28 to 32. They are boastful about their life of sin. Jews boast about their law-keeping. But you humble yourselves, there is no boasting. You unite sinners, whether Jews and Gentiles, excludes all discrimination, and excludes all superiority. So back to what has happened. Both the Prime Minister and the leader of the Workers' Party said to them, return to your families. And we as Singaporeans should give them space to recover. I said at the start, it is the family of God that they should return to. And when they return here, it's not our superiority over those who have sinned, as if we have never sinned. So justification by faith humbles us, unites us, excludes. The Jews were on the verge of doing what? They confused their priority that God's good news came to them, and slowly they confused their priority with superiority. They confused their privilege of being first in the queue, to being the only one in the queue. And sometimes when sin happens in our life, we do not remember that we are all capable of doing the same thing. And so with humility, we welcome them and pray for them and their families to be given a new beginning. And so it upholds the law, it excludes cheap grace. And expensive grace, costly grace is... The confessing of sin is painful, awfully painful, especially in public, when it goes global. But will Satan and sin have the last word in our life? No. And so I must summarise. Right, sorry. And what is it about Abraham? What does it mean for him to be a model of faith? He says, look at verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. He was old when God gave him the promise, which was as good as dead. When he was 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So you have to choose your vision every day when you listen. And so the vision is this. Abraham... Not justified by works, not justified by circumcision, not justified by law, justified by faith in Christ. He's not unique. We are like Abraham, receiving this promise of justi- righteousness by faith. He grew in his faith, and in the words of John Stott, there is no believing without thinking. So, Abraham, very quickly, he looked at his age, his body, no hope to have a child. He looked at his wife, barren, no hope to bear a child. If he kept looking downwards, there is no hope. He had to keep looking upwards and listen to God's promise. God's promise is, there will be a child. God is an expert at doing what? God is a masterclass of doing what? Of bringing life out of death. And that's what he did with Jesus and death and resurrection. And all of us who've traveled the path of faith will then realize this thing called sin is the death of me but this thing called Jesus is the life of me for all those who have sinned and fallen short that is occupy our nations consciences and concerns we run back to god and find salvation in him and him alone we don't keep looking horizontally humanly to be disappointed we look up And know for even those two affairs, four MPs gone, many broken hearts from their immediate families, children. But we look to God, and new life and new beginnings is totally possible in Christ Jesus. Amen? That is the righteousness we must believe, and that is the righteousness we must offer, because it humbles us equal in sin, equal in our Savior. We will have better days if we as the church hold fast to this and live for this. Let's stand. Reflect deeply in your hearts of what God has spoken to you and pray. Spend a few moments as we ready ourselves to sing a song that exemplifies this passage by faith. By faith. By faith, we can trust in your promises. By faith, we are made righteous. Search our hearts, O God, for there is nothing we can hide from you. If our hearts have longed for things that we shouldn't long for, forgive us. Your feet have taken us to places to do things we shouldn't do, forgive us. If our eyes have longed and lasted after people and possessions and pleasures, we shouldn't long for, forgive us. But more than mere forgiveness, you declare us totally innocent, though totally guilty. And where do we find us? except in Jesus, where your wrath and your mercy meet, where your law, where your love and your justice are satisfied. So thank you for this righteousness that has come from you. And pray that unless we see the ugliness of our sin, we will not behold the beauty of the Lord Jesus. Help us never to grow soft on sin. Help us always to be confessional and repentant and to be always be thankful that we are sinners, saved, saved by grace alone, Bible alone, Christ alone, and faith alone. May we be the family that sends a message to all the biological families of this world. That the family of God, constituted by Jesus, holds the key to true new beginnings. We ask this in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen.